0: Romans chapter eight. I'm my name's Zach Simmons. Like Josh said, I'm the director for college ministry here. And um, this morning we are going to be looking at um, why the word of God is profitable to us. But we're going to start in Romans eight. So if you got it, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death of deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, um, screwed up a couple times. I know I, <laughs> I, 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 I could tell. Um, I'm, the reason that I quoted that for you is not because I want to look impressive, though I do like being impressive. And, I, and you guys know that. So, Which just lowers me in your book already because I told you that I want to be impressive. So it's not because I want to be impressive at all. Um, 14 years ago, this January, my former pastor, in a sermon, I watched him recite four different chapters of scripture that's how I started a sermon and I was a sophomore in college and had never seen someone do that before I didn't even know it was possible I didn't I just didn't think people had did that and um, th- it challenged me and really encouraged me to to do that and so I don't want to be impressive and some of you guys may think that's overwhelming that will never be me That's just not how I'm wired. And really, you doing that just makes me feel guilty because I don't do it myself. And that's not the point. The point isn't for you to go home and memorize Romans 8. Um, The point is, it is possible. And um, I actually memorized that when I wasn't in ministry. I was uh, was working as a consultant, and I was working 12-hour shifts every day for about a month. And I didn't have time to, to read my Bible in the morning. And so for 15 minutes on my way to work every day, I just memorized Romans 8. And... Um, I memorized that about 10, 12 years ago. And so um, again, I I, I wanted to show you guys simply because it it was really helpful for me to see that. And so to you who feel overwhelmed maybe about reading your Bible, you feel like you could just never get a real rhythm going, there's there's some hang-up for why it's hard to read your Bible. I would just encourage you, what we're gonna be talking about this morning is not, I don't, I don't care if you're intense about reading your Bible. The point is, what do you love? And I know that some of you who really struggle reading your Bible do love your Bible. You do. You love the Bible and you love the gospel and you love Jesus so much. And um, could you this year, as as we're talking about the word this morning, could you think, what's one step that I could take that would be putting my face in the Bible just a little bit more than what I was last year? I'm not asking for intensity, I'm just asking, what do you love? And I know you love it. So it's, it's worth continuing trying to get into it. So now, let's go to 2 Timothy. And it says 3.16 up there. I'm actually going to have us read from 3.10 to, to 3.17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 17. You, however, Paul, he's talking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persec- persecutions I endured. Yet from all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness." That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, your word is glorious. You wrote this book for us. And I pray that you would impress on our hearts a desire to read it this year. Um, God, um, we are creatures who are finite. And you are, um, as Doyle prayed, you are all-powerful and all-knowing. There's nothing that surprises you. You're in control of all things. Every inch of this universe belongs to you. And we know those things because that's what the Bible tells us. In the Bible, we find life. We find Christ. And so I pray that this morning, you would encourage our hearts, God. I pray that um, you would meet us as we look at your word. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 1st uh, we're going to look at 316 specifically. I just wanted to give a little context. So, three. Sixteen says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for a proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, let's focus first on all Scripture is breathed out by God. I think there's two things here that we really see. One is, the Bible is true, all Scripture is true, and all Scripture is glorious. I think those are two implications from what he's saying here. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's true, and here's, here's why I say that. If the Bible is not true, then God is a liar and he is not worth following. Because all over the Bible, we see God saying that he's not a liar and we hear him saying that his word is true. So Proverbs 30 verse five says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? When God speaks, It is true. So for him to give us word that he says is true and for it to actually not be true shows that God is a liar and we should not follow him. Therefore, it is imperative that it is true if we're going to be Christians. Or the other option is that maybe God didn't write the Bible. If God did not write the Bible and this was just a man-made thing, then Christianity is based on nothing and we should walk away. There is no reason to be a Christian if the Bible isn't true. Um, I was talking with th- this meet I met with a chaplain. This week I met with a chaplain at Carleton. Um, his name's Skyler, and he's not a Christian. He, he's a Unitarian Universalist. He was an ordained minister in New York. And um, uh, he in the conversation he asked, what would you say is a distinctive of your church? Um, and that was the first thing I said was, well, we believe that the Bible is inerrant. We believe that the Bible is without error. We believe that the Bible is infallible, which means that it's incapable of being imperfect because it is inspired, it was written by God. We believe that, and because of that, that affects everything in how we conduct ourselves. That, that is the staple of our church. The Bible is true, it is inerrant. We cannot get away from that. At the point in which we get away from that, we're not the same church, not even close. Now, I mean, here's the point. If even 1% of the Bible is not true, if there's 1% of it that we don't like and it's not true, who is the arbiter of truth at that point? Who is deciding what is true and what is not? We are, not God. And if we are the arbiters of truth, God is not worth following because he is not the source of all truth. And, And it comes to an even bigger theological point. God is not held to a standard of morality. It's not as though God exists within our universe and we can judge him based off of this higher standard of morality, whether or not God is righteous enough or whether or not um, God is true enough or whether or not God is loving enough. We can't do that because God is love. The standard for morality is God. The standard of truth is God. Truth flows from who God is. It doesn't make any sense for God to not be true in everything that he says. So when we come to the Bible, this is the book that God has given us. He wrote a book. This is the only one, right? This was the book he wrote. And because he wrote it, we should take it seriously and say that it's completely true. Or we should walk away. If the Bible is 99% true, I'm not a Christian anymore. I mean, Paul even said, he, he, he says that in 2 Corinthians, right? He says, if, um, if the resurrection didn't happen... If there's things that are false about Christianity, then we should be pitied above all men because this life is hard. We're not resting in us getting a nice house and a comfortable life here on earth. We're resting in a hope that's to come in a better country that we haven't experienced yet. So if the Bible is only 99% true, I'm not a Christian. I think there's other ways to live life and I would walk away. The Bible must be true for us. And if it is true, then it is the most important book. Um, John Piper, he wrote a book called A Peculiar Glory, which is um, unpacking um, the glory of the Bible. And uh, This is one of the things he says about it. He says, It's a stupendous claim that any book written by human hands is the infallible word of God. If the claim is true, and if the book claims to teach the only path to eternal life, then that book is more important than any other book. It has more to offer us than any of the book. And what it offers us is of infinite importance. So we must take the Bible wholesale or not at all. We must submit completely to the Bible or not at all. So submission looks like you read something in the Bible that you don't like, and your assumption, your first assumption, should be either you don't understand it, Or there's something sinful in you that doesn't like it. Not that God is wrong. If we are going to be Christians that say that the Bible is inerrant and infallible, we must submit to it, even when we don't like it. We must say this is the the arbiter of truth. What God has told us is the arbiter of truth, not us, ourselves. So let me ask you, who or what do you give authority to tell you what is true in your life? Are there places outside the Bible that you're looking to find truth that may not necessarily line up with the Bible? And there's a lot of really good things you could look to that are a little bit off, just a little bit off. So, for instance, Fox News. (laughs) Your favorite political commentary. Your pastor. This is the second time I've taken a shot on Josh Um, (laughs) in a sermon. No, I mean, your pastor is fallible, right? So anything that he says, you should say, is that what the Bible says? We're going to hold ourselves to this. Anything that I say today, is that what the Bible says? Let's hold ourselves to the Bible and not to what your pastor says. Maybe it's your culture and your family, the way that you've always done things growing up. It just makes sense to you. And so the Bible kind of pushes against that. But You've always thought of it this way. So it must be right because there's people that you respect, your mom and your dad, who think this way. Maybe it's your own intelligence. Maybe when you come to the Bible, you're not necessarily seeking God, but you're seeking that you're intelligent. You understand these things more than other people. Maybe you're seeking truth from your own experience. You say things, you see things that happen in life, and you say, well, that doesn't necessarily line up with the Bible. But because my experience happened, this is what I'm going to say is true. Maybe it's your own desires. Maybe you just have things that you like. And because of that, you're allowing for that to control your life as opposed to the Bible. Maybe if you're a college student, maybe it's your professors. You know, there was a girl who um, uh, graduated from St. Olaf a few years ago. She uh, is engaged to a guy who I mentored at the U of M. It was really random, but... Um, I met with her and she told me that when she was at St. Olaf, they had to take Bible classes. And in every Bible class, they would explain to them how the Bible was unreliable. And she, as a 20-year-old, she said, well, this guy went to seminary and he seems a lot more intelligent than me, so he must be right. And that's, I think it's pretty common to think, you know, we're, we go to a, a school, we've got professors who've spent years studying. They yeah. must be right. They must know what they're talking about. It could be the cultural moment. And this is actually a big one. And I, I think we, we really need to consider that this year specifically. This year we're having a, a, an election year. And in 2020, when we had an election year, people were trying to put others in a box. Either you are this or you are this. You must think this way or you must think this way. And if you don't fully agree with me, then I'm pushing myself away from you completely. The cultural moment made people think that's what I need to trust in as the arbiter of truth. And the Bible, honestly, is, is not on anyone's side, <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's, it's a different cat. It's like, it's like uh, Treebeard says in Lord of the Rings, I'm not on anyone's side because no one's on my side, right? Like, the way that our, our politics are going, you can't look at either side. You can't look at Republicans or Democrats and say, yeah, this whole thing, is the Bible. You can't. And if you disagree with me, prove it from the Bible. So, it is true. Secondly, it is glorious. So look at this with me. So we're in 2 Corinthians 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Now let's go up to verse 10. He says, "Paul speaking to Timothy. You, Timothy, however... Have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Conium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, think about this. Paul, in the book of Acts, was persecuting Christians. He had an encounter with Christ, and after he had an encounter with Christ, he went on a rampage of trying to prove that Christ was the Messiah found in the Old Testament. And why would he do that? What is so glorious that it is worth receiving persecutions over and over again? What is so glorious that he would be willing to sacrifice all of the, the clout that he had in the pharisaical community? He was moving up quickly. You know, in Philippians 3, he talks about where he was at as a, as a Pharisee. You know, he was a... Um, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, it's like he, he had every box checked as a, as a Hebrew. And then he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I counted as rubbish because of knowing Christ. What is so glorious that would make him do that? Well, he tells Timothy right after this, if you keep going, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, Paul is saying... You have followed my whole life. And if you want to do the same thing I did, if you want to endure to the end, don't give up on the Bible. Stick with the Bible. Stay in it. It is glorious. So here's what I mean. If you'd be willing to die for the Bible, it can't merely be a mathematical equation. It must look more like a love letter. Here's what I mean by that. I don't need to know the mathematical equation for gravity to know that it affects me. I don't think about it ever. Now, Bruce Olson is probably thinking, well, we don't even know if gravity exists anymore. And, you know, it's like, that's just the point. We don't have to know. We, yeah, it's not a, we, don't, we don't have to know. We don't have to know that equation at all. We don't, know how, don't have to know how gravity works. But if we want to know how Christianity works, we have to know the Bible. It's not just something that's merely true, like a mathematical equation, it's something that you have to know in order to live with. It's more like a love letter, and that's exactly what it is. The Lord has given us a book for us to know for every situation. Secondly, it's, it, um, if you'd be willing to die for it, it can't be merely a masterpiece. It has to be more like a window. So what I mean by this is with a masterpiece, you can, you can go to the museum, and you can look at a masterpiece, and you can say, well, clearly it's beautiful, but I don't know if I like it, right? You can hold a view of a masterpiece and decide for yourself whether or not you like it. But a window, um, uh, John Piper, again, in the same book, he writes, uh, he talks about an experience where he got to go on a vacation to the Swiss Alps with his wife and they were in a chalet and there's this giant window and right out the window in the morning, you see the Swiss Alps. And he stood there for a really long time. So he says this, He compares it to the Bible and he says, I have stood in front of this window, the Bible, all these years, not to protect it from being broken or because the owner of the chalet told me to, but because of the glory of the Alps on the other side. I am a captive of the glory of God revealed in Scripture. So when we come to the Bible, it's not like we're looking at it and saying, "Mm, you know, what does it have for me? But rather, this shows us the glory of God. This is the primary way God has chosen to communicate to us. Every time we open this book, there's glory waiting for us to see. So when we open it up, we get to see the glory of God, and we can be captivated by it, and that's what we want. We don't want to be masters of the Bible. We want to be mastered by the Bible. We want to be held by it. So, secondly, it's a masterpiece. Thirdly, it's not ultimately for comprehension, but rather for captivation, which goes along with this last point. There's a lot of really smart people in this room and it is easy to think, well, if I just know enough, then I'm going to understand Christianity really well. If I just have all of the theological, you know, thing, all of my ducks in a row, then everything's going to work out. But that's not the point. You don't need to have all of the theological categories to be a mature Christian, right? What you need to be a mature Christian is one who's humble before the Lord, right? Right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that was the point with the Pharisees. Jesus didn't really have theological arguments with the Pharisees. He did with the Sadducees and others. But for the most part, he didn't with the Pharisees. Theologically, they had their ducks in a row. And yet they missed it because they didn't have humility. They weren't, they weren't really looking for the Christ. They were looking to uphold themselves. And I fear that when we come to the Bible, we can do the same thing. We can be super Christians where we look at the Bible and we think, if I just knew it enough, if people just knew the routines that I was in, <laughs> you know, if people just knew that I, I memorized Romans 8, you know, then you know, it's like that's ridiculous, right? That's stupid. We come to the Bible because of captivation, not, not for comprehension. So who or what do you give authority to tell you what is worth living for? Not only what is true, but what is worth living for. It could be the same things. You know, one that's not on that list, that I find myself tempted by, is ESPN. I love sports. I think they're so fun. And I can spend way too much time looking at sports. And it almost becomes, I mean, that, that our, think about this. That all of our money in America is going towards sports right now, right? Like, doesn't, doesn't that show what we think is of ultimate value? This game, whatever game it is, that is what is worth living for. This game, whatever it is, it's wild. All right, thirdly, so the Bible is true, the Bible is glorious, and third, it works. It works for Christians, it helps us. So, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And of course, in verse 17, it says that the man of God may be complete, and he's speaking specifically at Timothy because he's exhorting Timothy to not give up preaching the word. So when he says man of God, he's really saying the men who are in ministry. And yet this applies to all Christians. And the, the reason is because right below that, if you look at, at uh, verses 1 through 4, in chapter 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So he's saying this, this word that I want you to be equipped with, is for um, the church. It's for every believer. Okay? So, it's so that all of us may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. What does that look like? Well, one, it says it has the words necessary to make you wise for salvation. So, look right above that. It says, um, in verse 15, how from, he says, as for you, for, sorry, verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, um, what it's not saying here is if you read your Bible every day, then you will get to heaven, right? We know that that's not true. And if you read your Bible every day, you would come to a different conclusion than what I just said, right? If you read your Bible every day, then you'll see that there is nothing you could do to earn your way into heaven, right? And it's only by faith in Christ. Right? Romans 4 says that faith is believing that God is able to do what he said he would do. Right? that's what Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's what our faith is based off of. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it actually worked. Right? And... The whole reason that Jesus died on the cross is so that we could be reconciled to God. It's not like I pray this prayer, I make this decision, and then I move on with my life. It's the whole point is that I get to have a relationship with this glorious God. And I get to meet with him and see him. I have the spirit of God in me. And he's going to change me. He's going to make me new and transform me into something. The point is that I can't walk away now. Right? I mean, Chapter 4, verses 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teacher teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions rather than walking with God they're going to find people who say what they like as opposed to what the Bible says as opposed to saying true to the Bible even when it hurts we have passions and when we steer away from the word of God we move towards those things and so making you wise for salvation is saying will you actually endure to the end or not Do you actually love God or not? Are you here because of Jesus? Or are you here because some other reason? There's plenty of them out there. Maybe you're here because um, you feel lonely. And this is a a group of people, honestly, who is incredibly loving. And my wife and I have been so blessed by this. And that's why you're here. But you don't necessarily love Jesus. You don't necessarily love the God of the Bible or maybe you're here because you've always grown up Christian, and it makes sense to you. It, it jives with, with the way that you think about life, but you haven't actually necessarily ever submitted to him yourself. You ever have a, haven't ever had a moment where you're like, no, he, I. doesn't matter what it takes, I'm going to walk with him. There could be a lot of different reasons. All right, if you guys turn with me, we're going to look at Romans 12 real quick. So the Bible is profitable. And one of the reasons is because what we set our minds on affects our being and our doing. What you set your mind on affects your being and your doing. And we live in a culture that would say, if you're hurting, look inside for more strength. You're gonna find more strength from who you are, being your true self. But the Bible would say is, don't look inside, look at him, look upwards. So Romans 12, one and two, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, two implications. One is, if you, um, if you do not set your mind on God, you will conform to this world. And if you... Uh, if you renew your mind in the Bible with one another, working this out, what does it actually look like? You will be transformed. So being conformed is like, you know, just getting sucked into the jelly of our culture, right? But being transformed, the, the Greek word is metamorpho, which is metamorphosis. It's like you're a caterpillar and then you turn into a butterfly. You t- change into something completely different. different. You're completely transformed. So it's not like, you either read the Bible or you don't. It's you, um, you are always giving attention to something in your life. You are always giving attention to something. Who or what are you giving attention to in your life that you think is going to, to lead to more life? Are there things outside of the Bible that you're looking to? This isn't, this isn't like a, a heart question. This is a very practical question. What do you spend your time doing? How much time are you on your phone versus reading the Bible? How much time do you listen to podcasts as opposed to reading the Bible? How much time do you watch shows as opposed to reading the Bible? If what you are consuming from our culture, which certainly has a worldview, and is telling you things that are true or not, is outpacing what you are reading in the Bible, then it could be that you're being conformed to the world. It could be, and I think it's just a question that's worth asking. Now, I love shows. I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch shows, right? And I have a phone. You can't live without a phone in our culture. Like, I, I totally get those things. That's, that's not the point, point. And, and the point is not, if you spend this much time, then you're gonna be okay, as opposed to this much time. That's not the point. The point is, let's just ask the question. Are there things in your life where, when you look at them, you're like, yeah, it'd probably be better if I didn't spend time doing that? That's, that's the question. So, um, two more things, why it's profitable. I just want to clarify this. The Bible is not a caffeine hit. It's not like, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's kind of like, I needed that jolt, and now I'm ready for my day. And then I go on with my day, and then the next morning, I've got the verse of the day that I look at real quick. You know, it's just a, j- a little jolt, and then I'm going to get there. Um, it's more like a meal that you eat. You don't remember the meal that you had three days ago, probably. But you're alive today because of it, right? So when you read the Bible, when you're renewing your mind, it's simply just the exercise of continually reading your Bible. When grief strikes, it's a balm. When you have sin, it's a clean blow that heals. It makes you want to confess your sin. It makes you want to walk with God. When we have anxieties, it's a relief. Um, Secondly, it's not a good luck charm. It's not like if I were to read my Bible every day, then my life is going to be a lot easier because God is going to bless me. If I read my Bible and prayed, I mean, that would just be the ticket to a blessed life. That's not how the Bible works. More, it's like a tapestry. You know, you look at a tapestry and there's so many threads woven in to make this picture. And the Bible is giving you a tapestry for what life looks like. So when you do suffer, it's not as though you aren't going to suffer or suffering is going to be less But you have categories for what that suffering looks like. You have hope for a future where there isn't going to be suffering. You have hope that He is with you, just like we sang. I love that song. You know, in that moment, whatever it is, He will not allow it to consume you and destroy you. That's what the Bible is like, it's just a tapestry. Right? It's not just a, it, It's a tapestry that, that helps us to, to see all of life. And so when we read the Bible and we get to know the Bible more, we're going to have more and more categories to be able to deal with life in the way that God wants us to look at life. So, now I've got a, a few just personal benefits of how it's helped us. Um, and specifically, uh, the, the personal benefits I'm going to say are... are memorizing scripture and and ways that memorizing scripture has helped. And then I'm going to give a couple of thoughts of um, different things you could do this year. Um, Memorizing scripture has given me the ability to meditate and chew on scripture when there's no Bible present. So um, Johnny loves this verse, Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, which is a double entendre. It means that because his mind is stayed on you, he trusts in you because he trusts in you, his mind is stayed on you. It's, it's both of those things, and so memorizing scripture has helped me to to think on Him and chew on scripture. Memorizing scripture has consistently increased my faith in the gospel because faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God, which we find in Romans ten. And when I hear scripture in my mind, my heart believes the gospel more clearly. And I can't tell you when I'm um, going on prayer walks, I feel um, uh, so encouraged by by scripture as I'm as I'm working through different insecurities and anxieties in my heart. Memorizing scripture has helped me deal with negative emotions rightly. So when I feel shame or guilt, it has led me to confessing sin that I don't want to share. Uh, Psalm 36, um, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. I don't want to be a wicked man. I want to walk with God. So I'm going to share. I'm going to confess. Um, and it has even made me confess um, the sin of self righteousness, feeling as though um, I need to look a certain way before other people as opposed to looking to God. Um, when I feel pride um, or have felt bitterness and anger towards others, you know, Ephesians 4 says, Forgive as Christ and God has forgiven you. Um, it helps. It, um, it has decreased my level of anxiety over various things. With our finances, Philippians 4.21, um, for my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Um, or even just working through how should I think about money? You know, Matthew 6.24, you cannot serve both God and money, Right? Um, Or Matthew 6, 21, I think, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so how much money do I actually need, right? The Lord says that he's going to provide for me. Or Luke 12, he's talking about money, and he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's helpful. (laughs) He wants to give me the kingdom, and it may not look like money, but it is his good pleasure to give me the kingdom. That's so helpful. It's a tapestry. The Bible is a tapestry that helps me to deal with negative emotions rightly. Reciting scripture I've memorized almost always turns from recitation into prayer. And on the flip side, some of my sweetest times of prayer have been when I am reciting scripture to the Lord. If you have a hard time praying, memorize a chapter in the Bible and quote it and turn it into a prayer as you're working through it. Um, Memorizing scripture I've memorized has led to me understanding the passages better. So I memorized Psalm 23, and as I was quoting it, one day I realized You know, he says, um, it says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then right after that, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it just dawned on me, the valley of the shadow of death is a path of righteousness that the Lord has me on. He leads me in paths of righteousness that I don't want to be on for his name's sake. He is being glorified here. And at the end of it, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Surely, goodness and mercy follow me. Those are helpful reminders. So, and then finally, Scripture that I've memorized has been the anchor in my soul in the hardest, most tragic moments in my life. When Justine and I have experienced death several times these last few years, this has been the anchor of our soul, seeing Scripture. And it's one of the reasons why I feel so strongly about Um, helping people see the benefit of being in their Bibles because this truth has helped us, the hope that it gives us, knowing who our God is, that every inch of this universe belongs to him, that he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand. All of these things are from the Bible. They're so helpful and that he will not destroy me because like Psalm 139 says, it says, um, if I were to take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand would lead me and your right hand would hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is his light with you. These things are anchors for us as believers. God has a good story that he is writing. You are a part of what he is doing. The Bible is a tapestry that you can look to and see how it's all going to end up. You don't know exactly and we don't know why But we do know that he is faithful and he is good. And the only reason we know that he is faithful and he is good is because we find it here in the Bible. All right, applications. So, think through these questions. Who or what do you give authority to tell you what is true? Who or what do you give authority to tell you what is worth living for? Who or what do you give attention to that you are looking to for life? And for me, it's ESPN. I'm being honest, all right? (laughs) Um, So uh, I got three thoughts. Um, The first is, um, after after those questions, the first is, could you stick your nose in the Bible daily? Just stick it in, just for a couple of minutes every day. If you've never had a Bible reading plan, could you just begin there? Set a timer on your phone for 7.30 in the morning, while you're eating Cheerios and, and just have your Bible open and just read a chapter? If you've never done anything before, do that. Could you stick your nose in it in some way? So later on this week, Josh is going to send out an email with different ideas for um, what you guys could do for a Bible reading plan. There's one that Justine has really benefited from if you feel like you don't know the Bible. Um, it's by a woman named Terry Lee Cobble and she has you go through the Bible chronologically and so you read like four chapters a day and then it'll give you um, a commentary about what the, what the Bible said there. And um, my wife has found it very helpful, so you could do that. Um, I don't think you'll do what I do, but um, I have a list. I don't know if you can see these little things. I, have, um, I, I do a, a Bible reading plan that breaks the Bible up into 10 lists. And so I read a chapter from each list a day, which is 10 chapters. Some of you guys are like, oh my gosh. Um, I have ADD and I have a lot of thoughts going through my head. And so I find a huge intake of scripture helps me me personally, because I've got issues. So um, it's either the Bible's going to be running through my head really fast or other things are. So um, so you may not want to do that. We'll, we'll show you some other options this week. Um, I think I think Josh reads two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament every day, right? Something like that. So um, scripture memory examples. We talked about the fighter verses out there. Another one is the topic me- topical memory system by um, Navigators. That's a great... That's a great memory system. Um, Another option is for you just to memorize a chapter of something. And if you, honestly, if you would say you have a hard time getting in in the Bible, I would even almost recommend just doing a chapter and every day just going through that chapter or going through the verses that you've memorized thus far. It may take you six months to memorize 12 verses. And that's okay. The point is not that you understand the whole Bible. The point is, are you looking at it? Are you looking at it? So those are some examples Secondly, the second application is submit to it. When you read the Bible and you find something you don't like, don't assume God is in the wrong. Assume that he is in the right, because this whole thing breaks down if it's not true. And then thirdly, um, say it with your mouth, through song, through recitation of scripture, any way you can. One of the things my dad has told me about our kids, he said is expose your kids to the gospel every opportunity you can get in Sunday school, in church, Wednesday nights, reading the Bible with them, whatever you can. And we should be doing the same thing with ourselves. Just say it. Have it around your mouth at all times. So um, let me pray. Father, I pray that you would um, give us a love for your word. And um, I pray that those who might feel overwhelmed by this or condemned by this, I pray that um, you would comfort them uh, with your word, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we didn't have it. We didn't have what it takes. And you have done all the work. You have saved us and given us a spirit who, even when we don't know what to pray, prays for us. You didn't even spare your own son, but you gave him up for us all. How will you not also with us, with him, graciously give us all things, including your word? So I pray, God, that you would work in such a way that our congregation would love the Bible and would, um, would stick our nose in it each day. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. amen.